everyone, it's Kelly with the Scamp Life Podcast. This episode is a little bit heavier than most of our previous things. So this is just a trigger warning for our listeners that this episode does talk a lot about mass shooting and mass violence. If you feel that this is a heavy topic for you and you do not feel comfortable listening but still want the resources we have provided everything in the show notes so please check those out you can also reach out to shane directly if you have any questions without diving into this full episode but for those who want to stick around please enjoy this is a really great episode with shane reserve on mass violence and our and our camps thanks This is Scamp Life, the other side, a bi-weekly podcast for summer camp professionals with your hosts, Kelly and Shauna. Now it's time for another thought-provoking episode exploring the amazing world of summer camp. All right, welcome back to the Scamp Life podcast, the other side. Shauna, how are you doing today? I am great. How are you? I'm good. I got some book mail, so I'm pretty excited as usual i've got setting the table by danny meyer and danny meyer is keynoting tri-state so figured i should read that before i head off next month i'm actually reading a fiction book right now Mm -hmm. um so my work you know how i'm like a part of a bigger organization organization it's not just camp (laughs) so we've been doing book clubs and this theme is fiction or no, it's classic. That's right. And we voted on Slaughterhouse Five. That's a good one. Yeah, it's one of Vonnegut's that I haven't read, so I'm a little excited to get started. Awesome. Well, we have a guest with us today. Shane Meserve is here, but again, we are talking about a, something pretty heavy. Shauna, what is Shane here for, with us today for? We are going to be talking about the effects of mass violence on children. Wonderful. And we have Shane here to give us all of that good knowledge to help us work with our children that may have been through mass violence. So I'm going to let Shane introduce herself. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I really appreciate it. My name is Shane Mazur. I am a consultant and trainer on various topics, but mass violence is one of them. I also work work with uh, clients on trauma-informed care, on there's something called the five protective factors, which is kind of a child abuse prevention framework, a lot of different topics. I also was a camp director for many years. I ran licensed child care in the state of California for about 13 years full-time in a couple of different counties in several different school districts. And so I've been where you are. I was also a resident camp director for two years up in the Sierra Nevada mountains in the Kings Canyon National Park. And so I love, I love camp. I love youth work. I kind of got out of youth work around 2015 to become a full-time trainer, but um, I love, I love the industry and love staff who work with kids in this, in this way. So excited to be here today. Awesome. awesome. I feel like that's my dream job is to become a full-time trainer of just anything and everything. It's fun. It's certainly fun. Yeah. Awesome. I don't know if I could do that. Really? Staff training is like my favorite thing. Oh, it's not mine. I've already started <laughs> planning for this year. Good. You should be. Yeah. I am already planning staff training. I don't have like it all built out, but like my 
my bullet notes and stuff are starting to to be pieced together. So awesome. So so Shane, tell us more about the research you've done working with survivors mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. in mass violence incidents. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I so I just finished a project in 2023. I worked for three years on a project with the survivors and family members of the Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting, which is the shooting in Las Vegas on mm -hmm. October 1st, 2017. Still the largest mass violence incident in US history. Cross our, cross our fingers, knock on wood, that it stays that way. And I am not a survivor of the incident. I have not personally survived any uh, gun violence. And I had worked on a project uh, about five years before that on mental health and child abuse prevention and all of that. So. Uh, moving into this gun violence project um, with the survivors and family members was, it, it was a, a, a little bit of a step out for me, but I learned so much and I feel so passionate about this topic after having worked with folks who have been through a mass violence incident that I really in my brain started making that leap between youth work, camps, childcare, you know, all those kinds of programs and into you know, resilience and uh, recovery from incidents of mass violence. You both may know this, but gun violence is the number one killer of young children under the age of 18. It's mm -hmm. not car accidents, it's not cancer, it's not any other kind of accident, it's gun violence because there's so many guns on the streets, right? In, in all of our cities. And let me preface this by saying, I, I, have, I am not taking a personal position on guns. Gun ownership is not good or bad in my mind. It is, it's just a reality of where we are in our society. So in my presentations, when I talk about this topic, I am not, a, you know, I'm not saying anybody who owns guns is bad or that you shouldn't have guns in your house. I'm not saying anything about that. So just so you know that I'm not gonna get into that political arena because that's really irrelevant to this conversation. Mm -hmm. I wanna talk a little bit about preparing your program or your agency for the impact, the growing impact of gun violence or mass violence on it, we all have to be aware of this issue. You're running a program in a in a zoo, did you say, in, in Chicago, yeah. right? So big public arena. I'm not sure, Kelly, where your program is, but I'm, is it in a public place or? Not as public as Shauna's. We are, uh -huh. you know, a private property, but we're kind of in the middle of nowhere and we butt up against hunting land. So during hunting season, it is something that we uh -huh. are very aware yeah. of, even though our children are not targets and we don't really have kids on site during hunting season. We have had to, like, I had to go and post our property this year because it hadn't been posted in the past. And we have had to ward off poachers. So again, not, not any, you know, it's not a direction towards kids when they're out there hunting. Sometimes sure. they don't realize they're even on our property and not, but I mean, we've had buildings that have broken windows because of guns, of uh, mm -hmm. poachers who were on our property mm -hmm. and things like that. Thank you. That's a great example. And I know that there are going to be folks listening to this who run like a rural program or they, they run a, you know, like I used to run a, a summer camp up in the national park. And so we, it was not a public facility at all. It was basically mm -hmm. only invited guests, but still it's really important to be thinking about this topic and how, how we might manage it if it, if it happens or, and Shauna said this at the, actually to be the, the title of it is how gun violence affects children. So whether it happens anywhere near your program or maybe it's happening in the community, it's still important to talk about. 
So mm -hmm. again, talking about how can your agency sort of prepare for something like this to happen, you know, again, knock on wood, hopefully it never happens anywhere near you, but we need to start thinking about it because it, it could happen, right? And so the other thing is, and you all mentioned this in your intro, being, be, how we manage a, an incident that occurs outside of our program is really important too, because people are very, all of us are very much affected by community violence. So again, whether it happens in your facility or not, if it happens in your city, if it happens in your community, it's going to affect people, right? So whether you're a primary uh, survivor of the incident, you're a family member, you're a community member, maybe you live in the same neighborhood where something happened, maybe your program is right down the street, you know, the Uvalde school shooting happened in Uvalde, Texas, very small community. I did a very small project there with the library, the library director, and the library is literally like a mile away from the school. And that library director knew that every single kid in that community was going to be affected by that school shooting. So whether you were on site or not, you're going to be affected by it. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's something to, to take in. For the Route 91 example, we talked about how everybody in the community was a first responder that night because there were, so, there were uh, 21,000 ticket holders at that event. And you know, if, I don't know if you know Las Vegas or not, but you know this this the site is actually way down at one end of the strip, and yet everybody everybody anywhere near it was affected. So whether you're driving an Uber, you're working in the Circle K, which is across the street, you live in an apartment building, you know, right down the street, you had survivors on your doorstep looking for help. So, you know, we're all affected by this, whether we're on site or not. Yeah. And then just to talk a little bit about how can we offer recovery and resiliency activities after an incident occurs in our community because it does affect us moving forward. Mm -hmm. the, the incident happens, there's sort of an immediate response to it and then there's the long-term response. And if there's anything that I've learned about gun violence, it's that I, I started my project in 2020, which was three years past the actual event in Las Vegas. And pe people will be dealing with that trauma for the rest of their lives. It's not a short-term recovery process. So long-term recovery is how we have to think about these things. Yeah, for sure. Living in Chicago, it's not bad like the media says, but there is a lot of gun violence here. So I know every summer there's at least a couple kids who have been affected by it yep. very closely. So It's a big um, city. All big cities have... Yeah. yeah, all cities really, but you know, big cities in particular have, have a lot. Yeah, and we did have a, a pretty big mass shooter event two years ago in Highland Park, which is a suburb just outside of Chicago mm -hmm. at a parade. The 4th um, of July parade. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that definitely affected a lot of people. I had a friend that was supposed to be in the parade that day, so mm. you know, like it, it doesn't matter how far you are removed from it. It's just, you know, it, it could be, it, it brings you back to that thought of like, it can happen anywhere, which is terrifying to think about. And also just like, reminds you to, to stay vigilant, which unfortunately stinks, but it's something that we have to do today. It does, but it also goes along. I mean, you, you all know this as being directors of programs for youth, you have to be vigilant anyway, right? There's a lot of things to be thinking about to keep kids safe, to keep staff safe, to keep, you know, the adults that are in your, in your facility, like we have to keep a lot of people safe. It's True. just, it's just that this, this particular thing is scary because it's super out of our control, right? Whether, yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but I absolutely hear you. I was running my last assignment to 
run a program was in Santa Barbara, California, and it during Sandy when the Sandy Hook school shooting occurred. And so I was running a school age site, and I remember on that day being like glued to the news, like could not tear myself away from it long enough to because I was it was so scary, right, and so relatable to running mm -hmm. a school age program. So I'm sure you both can can relate to that. Although you're younger yeah. than I am, so you probably you weren't directing programs at that point. But well, I was. I was in college. For Uvalde, yeah. which was just yeah. a couple, just two summers ago. I'm, yeah, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> just, just have some good genes. When Sandy Hook happened, uh, yeah. so I wasn't necessarily yeah. running full time program, but uh, I was a seasonal director that following summer, and so mm -hmm. yeah. And then I also a few years ago before I moved to Alabama, I was working at a humane society and doing school programming during the year. So I was in just about all the schools in the Boise area specifically elementary and I think every time I walked into a school I memorized my in and out and where oh. I could get out mm -hmm. just in case yeah I actually grew up yeah. not too far from where Sandy Hook happened so oh. I wasn't in the state at the time but it definitely felt like oh it's a little too close to home <laughs> so Prevention is something that we talk about a lot in camps. Working in a free public open gate zoo, it's something for, at least for, we call them code blue or active threat events. We do a lot of training for, and we work a lot with the Chicago Police Department and Fire Department. So what can you tell the camp world that would help us? I don't think prevention is something that we have much control over, but Unfortunately, how could we prepare for a mass violence situation at our camps? Well, the, yeah, prevention is, it's so hard to prove a negative, right? That you've prevented something from happening. But let, let me just say a couple of things before I get into that. One is, I just want to assure everyone, I know we're here talking about like mass violence. Mass violence is very rare. I know it's really scary. And when it does happen, it's a really big deal. And it's all over the news and it's flashy and all of that, right? So I just want to remind us all that it, this is a very rare incident. It does, it's not, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but it is not, it's not something that's happening like every single day in every single community, right? So just, we can take a deep breath real quick and just realize it's, statistically, it's not going to happen to you, but I'm glad we're here talking about it because if it does, I want you to be a little bit prepared. The other thing is I just want to say briefly that I do, you know, in this, in my talking points today, I am, we are going to talk a little bit about violence. We are going to talk about maybe some suicidality and other trauma topics. So I just want to say that out loud in case there are folks who are, who are listening to this who are like, nah, I don't, you know, because many of us are traumatized around violence. And so I want to make sure people are sort of aware of that before I, before I start, because I think that's important to let people know. Mm -hmm. But yes, so with that said, the things that we can do to sort of prepare for something like this are, first of all, we want to be very aware of our surroundings. You all mentioned this once already. Staff, it's very important, whether you're on a private, whether you're on a private location or a public location, which yours sounds very public, we want to always be aware of our surroundings. We want to make sure we know what's going on at all times, right? And that's tough to do when you have a group of what, 10, 15, 20? How many kids do y'all have? How many kids do your each of your staff have to manage? Anywhere from twelve to twenty. Twelve to twenty. That's a lot. I'm fourteen to sixteen. Okay. Yeah. We. I when I was running licensed care, it was fourteen. One to fourteen was our ratio. 
we're oh, we're I- we have two staff there with that many kids okay but yeah so we're like a one to six to a one to ten ratio but we group sizes are 12 to 20 so you figure i mean yes you have a second person there but you are still responsible for all 12 kids so absolutely yeah yeah so awareness of that and where kids are at all times and they're all the same height right (laughs) anytime you're around a group of kids like they're all going to be four foot tall right so and they all have like similar colored hair right so whether you know, you know, so just that, that awareness is the first piece of just really knowing who you're with and who's around. We're going to use common sense security measures when it comes to, you know, access for kids or where kids are, you know, who's coming to pick up kids. You all know about this. Your sign in out procedures, the person who's managing the front desk, of whatever that looks like for your program, um, knowing who's in, who's coming in and out when you're in a public location. I'm not even sure how to how to help with that. I did run a program one summer at a public park. So it's kind of a similar thing. Like, you know, we were actually doing all of our activities out in the park. And so there were, you know, unhoused folks. There were people just there using the park from the community, et cetera. So just being aware of those surroundings is really important and using common sense techniques on how to, how to do that. We want to follow our pr- policies and procedures strictly around, you know, questioning guests, questioning adults that, that show up. We want to make sure we are practicing those policies and procedures with staff. We can't just do it once in staff training and then forget about it, right? We have to be, I don't know what your staff meeting situation is or how often you, you get together as a staff. And I know that varies with different kinds of programs. Some programs never do or do, you know, very rarely. Other times you may have a weekly staff meeting. It's I had the privilege of my last program, we had weekly staff meetings. So every week we had a chance to like catch up with people and like, and test ourselves on our policies and procedures. So just regular check-ins on that kind of thing is very important. We also want to train staff in, you know, preventative supportive practices. So if there is an adult that shows up and we're not sure who that person is or whether they're allowed to be there or not, we're not gonna yell at them. We're not gonna create it. You know, we're not gonna create a problem. We're just going to train staff to really use good communication and say, you know, I don't have you on the list for to pick up today. Can you please go check in with the, the front desk person and see see what's going on? And then if they let me know that, that it's okay, then that's great, right? So training them on communication techniques on how to manage that if there is some kind of situation where there's a person there who's not supposed to be there. And then in general, this is a general term, a general thing to say, we want to be teaching people about social emotion. We were using our social emotional activities and mental health resources at all times. That's with kids with no other adults around. We want to teach them about good communication. We want to teach them about social emotional skills because the more we can teach them about that, the less likely they're going to be to grow up and need to use violence to get something that they need, right? Mm -hmm. So social emotional activities, communication techniques, mental health resources, training your staff on mental health resources is so important as well, right? To head these things off before they get worse. That's what prevention is all about, right? Is preventing things from happening. So the more we can support kids with those kind of activities, the less likely we're gonna have those situations. The other thing we can do is involve parents in this process, right? So we wanna, and I know, Every director of a day camp or regular camp like throws things at me when I say this. I want to make sure parents are up to date on their paperwork. I know, I know, I know, I know. We're always fighting with parents to make sure they have the right 
the right pickup people, the right parent, you know, what's happening with the other parent, what's happening with grandma, like what, you know, we're always fighting with parents to get that done. But just staying in a nice way, staying up to date with parents on that so that we don't have to have a conflict if there's an adult that shows up that's, that's okay to be there. We want to get to know our families. What's going on in their family? Is there a divorce happening? Is there a death in the family? Did somebody lose a job? To know what's going on with them. To and again, I know that's hard for the the counselor or the staff member who's working directly with kids. They don't they don't really have time to like be conversing with parents when they're supposed to be supervising these fourteen kids, right? I get it. I totally get it. So maybe there's an assigned person that who's like your they're your your parent liaison, right? Or maybe that's you as the director, or maybe the front desk person, like that's their job is to kind of like schmoozy, be schmoozy with parents and find out, you know, and listening to kids, obviously, because kids tell you everything. I always tell my sister that, who I don't have kids, but my sister does. I'm like, just so you know, your kids tell the, the staff everything. So just, just be aware of that. So being aware of what's happening with families is really important. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but there's a very strong correlation between mass violence incidents and interpersonal violence or domestic violence. So when kids tell you that there's something going on at home and we're probably, we're all like mandated reporters, right? We, mm -hmm. we know that when we hear kids talk about violence at home, like our, our little antenna go up, which is really important to do. So what is happening with your family? If there's a domestic violence or interpersonal violence thing going on at home, you should have a little red flag come up, not only just for that kid, because of what that kid is going through or what this family is going through, but also because there is a, there's a strong connection between mass violence and domestic violence. Okay, so I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So getting to know what's going on in the family can really help. Connecting families to one another, if you can, is, is so important, right? You can't be you can't go hang out with these families on the weekends. You don't want to. That's not, you're not doing that. But the families, <laughs> if they, then, you know, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but we weren't allowed, in my last job, we weren't allowed to let people, like they can't, the staff can't babysit for families on the weekend. That's a policy and procedure we had in place because it's like, that's really not safe for our staff to be, or we, or they were, they didn't tell us about it anyway, if they did. <laughs> anyway, but we can connect the families to one another so they can do things with each other on the weekends, right? And they can support one another. So finding ways for families to support one another. Again, back to that social emotional piece, mental health piece, right? Going back in and support so they can support one another. And just asking parents to be another set of eyes for us, you know, to be aware of what's going on. In the and then the last piece is having those communication plans in place. Are you all connected to the emergency services in your community? I can't imagine, Shauna, that you on a on a zoo campus, you wouldn't know if something was happening at the front gate of a zoo. I'm sure you would find that out because you're on the premises, right? So yeah. I don't, and like in my community, I'm just on my just as me as a personal citizen, I'm on a texting thing where if there's a fire, if there's a earthquake, if there's a we had big brainstorms recently where I live. And so we had, you know, we were getting updates on flooding, like all of that kind of stuff. We want to make sure our program is connected to that. So we're aware of what's going on. You want to create kind of a policy around this, around community violence or mass violence, if you don't already have it in your policy and procedure mm -hmm. manual. And then just figuring out ways to communicate with parents to an old fashioned phone tree, if you all know what that is. Yes. Yes, we're, yeah, we yeah. are old enough for a phone. Okay, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> we were born and lived most of our lives in analog, so we are. Okay, good. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm an old, I'm a Gen Xer. So I'm completely, I'm, I, I mean, I use social media, obviously, but I'm, we are I'm both older stuff. millennials. Older millennials. So, okay, good. Yeah. Excellent. So using a phone tree, using a texting platform, if you're able to text to all of your parents at once, like figuring out ways to communicate with people is going to be really important. And then having somebody on site who's ready to to connect with media, with the media mm-hmm. in case something happens, you want to have that person who's trained, who knows how to talk to the media. You don't want to just shove a, you know, they'll want to shove a microphone in front of anybody who will say anything. But you want to make sure you have somebody trained for all that. So those yeah. are those are just a few like prevention techniques, I would say. And the other thing is just to remember and just, you know, telling your staff and over and over and over again that children and families thrive in warm, receptive centers. Mm-hmm. We want them to feel like this is their reprieve, right? This is their port in the storm. This is the place they trust to take their kids. And the kids feel warm and fuzzy there. They feel supported. They feel like if nowhere else in the world, I have any control over anything. When I go to day camp, when I go to this resident camp for a week, I am safe, right? So that kind of atmosphere is such a wonderful thing. And, and you know, again, we can't control what happens in the outside world. We cannot control what's happening down the street. But we as staff have, we have the chance as a day camp or program staff we have the chance to create the world we want to be in. And so we want to create that kind of program for people, mm-hmm. for the for the kids and for the parents and for the staff. Don't forget about the staff and all this. The staff is really important. Yeah. So those are some, kind of some general preventive things. I am not the expert on, you asked me in the, the pre-questions, you asked me about the responding in the moment if there's an incident. I'm actually not the expert on that. I, there are other folks I can I can give you references on other folks who can talk about what to do if it's happening in your center right this second. I can mm-hmm. I can help you with those kind of folks, but I'm not really that person because I don't really know. <laughs> That's fair. So I know a lot of us like so my background's in the why and being in a facility and everything like that. You know, we were always taught the run, hide, fight aspect of mass violence, you know, what to do in the event that this happens. Is that still being taught or is there something now better that we can be teaching our staff during staff training to kind of prepare for this in the event it happens? Like I said, that's really not my expertise. I'm working with this gal right now and I can, I'm happy to be happy to refer you to her book. But this is disaster planning and preparedness for early childhood and school age settings. And yes, I think that's what she teaches. Her name is Charlotte Hendricks. And I can give you her contact info if you'd like to you know, talk with her directly about this. I think she specializes more in preschool atmospheres versus school age or public or you know, preschool age or school campus atmospheres. But I think that's what she teaches is the run, hide, hide fight. So, that's, so that is still a relevant... Because I know that's what I've I been teaching so. my staff for many years so. yeah. is the run, hide, fight and fight being the absolute last thing you do. Like you need to run and hide prior to even thinking about fighting. And so when we cover it in training, we tell staff that you tell the kids that they need to run and then they need to hide and they need to move towards our rally point. So that's kind of what we cover. We don't cover a lot of this during staff training other than run, hide, fight, meet at the rally point, show them where the rally point is. 
And that's kind of the extent. And don't talk to media, but that's always just covered in general for anything that might happen. <laughs> I believe so. I mean, that sounds right for a lot of different emergencies, right? If there's a fire, if there's a I mean, in California, we have earthquakes. So, you know, that's that's kind of an earthquake kind of a thing too. So, yeah. Nice. Obviously, the fight part, you don't have to worry about that in, a, in an earthquake. But <laughs> They're going to fight the tectonic plates. Yeah. Thinking back to this prevention, we know that a lot of schools practice active shooter or active threat drills. It's not something that I practice with campers at my camp. I do it with my staff during training. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on how doing these trainings affects the mental health of, not trainings, but these drills affect the mental health of the children? There are more and more studies showing that they are. You know, imagine after Columbine was our big, the big first sort of school shooting that really got, you know, national attention. And after Mm -hmm. that was when high schools started getting metal detectors and you couldn't use your locker anymore and you had to have your backpack searched, you know, so all of that is very, it's, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine, or maybe that happened to you in high school. It didn't happen to me because that was after my high school time, but it's, it has to be pretty stressful to be a kid and have to go through a metal detector to go to school, right? Or to have your backpack searched every time. So I don't have the statistics around that, but there are other agencies that sort of specialize in knowing what the, what the actual effects are. Um, Sandy Hook Promise is a great example of an organization that's doing this kind of work. Um, and, you know, again, which of course t- came out of a horrible tragedy, but is, is doing really good work now on studying kids and how, how these things are affecting. So if a mass violence event happens at camp mm-hmm. in the aftermath, what should camps do to support the survivors? You know, I would say I would first start with like the direct survivors who are mm-hmm. primarily affected. And then, I mean, then we can branch out to secondary and family and all of that. But in terms of like the staff who were there, the kids who were there, that sort of survivor, let's start there first. And then we can kind of expand on how (sighs) camp can help. I know we only have like 15 minutes, so I could go on about this for a while. I bet you could. I bet. (laughs) So yes. So in the, in the case of an incident like this occurring, there are lots of balls in the air at this point. You can probably imagine the direct mm-hmm. response to an incident like this is not going to be in your purview, right? It's not going to be in the purview of your staff or the, you know, in that you, you are not going to have to really do a whole lot around this because the first responders and all of those folks are going to jump in and, and start taking care of business, right? So there are lots of things that your program can do to support the participants, the, the survivors, their family members, the community. And just remember, first first responders are absolutely police and fire, right? There's also, you know, the advocates. There are advocates that will come from your, like the district attorney's office, the, the anyone who's a victim of crime. And so anybody who's been affected by, directly affected by a mass shooting is going to be considered a victim of crime, of violent crime. Those folks are all entitled to support services, right? So whether it might be cash, like to pay to pay for therapy, it might be maybe they weren't, aren't able to get back to work right away. So they're helped with that. You know, there's lots of different services that those, that, that's who I worked with on my program was the district attorney's office in, in my community. So there's going to be the, vic- the direct victims and survivors. There's going to be family members. Imagine being, you know, if a ch- God for, again, God forbid, if a child was killed, like their, their parents, 
right? Their grandparents, their family members, the first responders are all affected by this as well. You know, they look strong and big and, and everything on the outside, but just imagine having to see this kind of scene and how difficult that is. And so they're gonna need, they're gonna need support as well. Neighbors witnessed somebody who witnessed it, but who didn't, you know, wasn't physically affected. Community leaders, right? The mayor of your town, the the directors of the of the zoo, right? The the anyway, all, all the community leaders that are going to have to respond to this as well, and you, like you all, are going to be affected. Your staff is going to be affected. So there's a lot of people to think about in this scenario. So right away, there's going to be some kind of incident command. Somebody's going to come in. They're going to be in charge of like letting all the different departments know what they need to do. There's going to be a communications lead who's going to be the one to manage all the media outlets. There's going to be, there might need to be multiple languages being communicated in, right, depending on the, the community that's being affected. There's going to be somebody who's identifying victims, right? So there's going to be a, a coroner or a medical examiner involved. They're the, they will take care of like personal effects of the person, of the people who are involved, like, you know, whatever bags they might have with them or their their imagine at route 91 there were literally 21,000 people and so imagine how many shoes got left behind how many purses how many backpacks how many you know whatever it's like there was a huge room full of just everybody's stuff that got kind of marked so that you could come back and get your stuff if you wanted to because you had to run to to survive the incident so the personal effects are going to get get categorized or cataloged Somebody's going to be in charge of communications with family members. You know, usually there's like a loosely called a reunification center. Unfortunately, not everyone is, is reunified with their loved one, but typically there's a place set aside for people who aren't sure about where their, where their loved one is. So somebody's going to be involved in that. That's usually like the advocates, the professional advocates sort of, and the police kind of handle that kind of thing. They handle any kind of missing persons issues, et cetera. And then like a family assistance center kind of place where the families can go to get assistance, to get a counselor, to get food, to get lots of different things. So anyway, all of these things are happening that really have nothing to do with you, with you or with your programs, right? Those are all handled by sort of professional people who have been trained to do all that. And I would say too, just for our listeners, ACA does have a emergency mm-hmm. hotline for camps. Yep. You do not need to be a member of ACA to utilize this hotline and they can help with any kind of, I mean, they cover anything from injury on program to child abuse cases. They can do all of that. So I would say as a camp to utilize that in the event, Absolutely. something even came close to being like this, just to have as a resource for your camp Mm -hmm. directly, especially Mm -hmm. with what you were saying, Shane, all of the community members will probably handle a lot of the immediate needs and like what they're already trained to do. But as a camp trying to come back from something like this, I would definitely say to utilize the ACA hotline, whether you're part of ACA or not, that is a huge, huge resource for us. Yeah, and that's great because they're going to have some very specific camp-related exactly. sort of talking talking points and mm-hmm. research, you know, on incidents that have occurred in camps and how they've, you know, how they've come back from them and, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, perfect, perfect resource. There's a couple of other resources that I can share at the end um, that have to do specifically with child, like, traumatic stress mm-hmm. um, that can help with the, with the recovery process. So after that initial, rec- that initial response, 
you know, that may, I, I have no idea how long that takes, maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks, you know, to kind of get through all of that process. Then we start to see a little bit of time when we start to offer recovery services, right, to, to the community. So we all know having worked with kids that you all talked about trauma, trauma-informed care a couple weeks ago, it sounds like, or in a different thing, which is great. Such an important topic. It's relevant for all of us, not just children. It's relevant for you all, for me. We've all been through trauma in our lives, right? And so trauma-informed care is so, I didn't know about this until I was way into my professional life about knowing about trauma-informed care. And I'm like, oh, I wish I'd known about this earlier because it helps. It helps so much. <clears throat> I often say trauma is not, it's not an excuse for behavior, but it could be a reason for behavior. And it's really helpful as a professional to know that the person who's standing in front of you, especially when you're a director and you have parents standing in front of you that are really mad at you, but you know, it's really not about you. It's about like, it's really important to know this. So I'm so glad that you're, you covered it already. And I hope you'll have other speakers talk about it in different settings as well. But we all know that when kids have been through trauma, the younger they are, the less likely they are to be able to talk about it and talk about their feelings, right? Young, young, young kids, which we all do school age, you all do school age kids for the most part. So young kids, preschools, you know, they can't, they can't sit down and say, Shauna, I'm feeling very stressed today because, you know, there was an incident at my school a week ago and I just felt really out of control, right? They can't do that. Even <laughs> older kids sometimes don't have the verbal skills for this kind of thing, right? So what do we, what happens instead? What do we see instead? Quote unquote, bad behavior. Bad behavior, right? This is the number one thing that staff want to know about. How do I make this kid behave? <laughs> how do I, how do I help them not have bad behavior, right? Quote unquote, because no kid is bad. Nope. Nope. There's no such thing as a bad kid. It's I just, say that all the know. time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. This is the number one topic that staff want, right? So here are the things we, that we see with kids who have been through trauma. We see big swings in their behavior. Maybe they used to be a pretty easy kid, pretty, you know, pretty go along. And then all of a sudden they start fighting at or every, every time. Maybe we see the opposite. Maybe we've had like a really, you know, really, really kind of rambunctious kid, happy, go lucky. And then we see them become quiet and withdrawn. We may have, the younger they are, the more likely they are to be scared about being away from their parents or from their caregivers, right? Mm -hmm. The people that they live with, they, they get really scared about that person leaving them, right? They, they have intrusive thoughts. Maybe they're not sleeping well. Maybe they start getting aggressive, right? Physical aggression. Mm -hmm. what, what do we, I mean, it's true for me as an adult too, when I'm having a day, when I feel out of control, like, what do I want to do? I just want to hurt, it's like, I want to hurt somebody the way I hurt, right? I want to hurt somebody. I want them to feel as bad as I do. Now, the older you get, the more you can balance that out with other behaviors. But what do we as adults do? We drink, we shop. We excessively like exercise. I don't know. We, we do some, when you have those emotions that you don't know what to do with, you find something to cover it up with, right? So the way kids do that is they, um, they get worried excessively, right? I have, a, I have a niece who's 14. She's been worried since she was born, I think. She's a born worrier. But after my sister and brother-in-law got divorced, she got worse 
right? Mm -hmm. She worried about everything. She still does. She's 14. They've been divorced now five or six years. Everything's good. Like they're all getting along. It's a, it's a good divorce. If you haven't had a divorce, this is a good divorce, but she's still like an excessive work. So they get worried. They worry about their own safety. I know she worries about her younger sister all the time. Mm -hmm. What's Gabby doing? Why? You know, she's always like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Right. And she was, again, she was like that when she was born before anything happened to her. That's kind of her nature, but it got worse after this. She went through this trauma with her family, mm -hmm. right? Guilt or shame. A nine-year-old should probably not feel super guilty about stuff. What does a nine-year-old do? What? They aren't as nice to their younger sibling as they should be. Maybe they were mean to their mom. Maybe they, yeah. you know, took something from a store. I don't know. I mean, the worst things that a nine-year-old could do, they probably... If they feel, but if they feel excessively shamed, excessively guilty, something's going on there, right? There's some trauma that they're like covering up with those feelings. They can be easily alarmed. Uh, one thing with school age kids that that, sh that could show that there's trauma, not necessarily, not all of these behaviors show that there's been trauma, right? That's the problem with trauma. It's not obvious all the time. They avoid previously enjoyed activities. Maybe you have a 10 year old who's like, Soccer, 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 soccer. Like that's all they want to do. That's all they want to talk about. It's all they want to read about is soccer. Then all of a sudden, not interested in soccer anymore. Now that could be that they've just changed their interests, right? That's possible. Kids try all kinds of they try all kinds of things on, right? Or something might have happened at soccer, and they don't want to do soccer anymore because that's an uncomfortable place to be, right? So that that that's a pretty good clue that something's happened with a with a school-age kid is that they mm -hmm. just really lose interest again, again or maybe they've just transferred that interest to something else they might have big changes in their school performance now at day camp right you're not worried about school performance necessarily a resident camp but you know same thing like maybe they were just a really good good student really dedicated and then all of a sudden they're like ah oh, it doesn't matter I don't care why do, I don't care about that right so these are all some some signs that could show up when a kid has been traumatized. These signs sound very familiar when you're looking at a child that you suspect might be depressed too. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, sure. I was like, this is bringing me back to my mental health first aid training. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. If you are a youth professional that is listening to this podcast, we should already know all these signs, but it also is important to to get reminded of them and go get yourself mental health first aid trained because it'll give you it'll, a lot of help. information. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm so glad that mental health is so much more, again, I left the, the field full-time in about 2015. And even a couple of years before that, we were talking about sort of mental health, but I'm so glad even since then, even again, I think the pandemic, that was one thing that happened with COVID that really brought this to the forefront is, is mental health resources. So again, that's, that's great. Social, emotional, and mental health resources. So what can we do about all that? What can we do? We can encourage dialogue. We can learn about mental health first aid. We can learn about kids and how they process trauma when something's happened to them. We can talk, you know, learn to talk with them about that. Now, how do you do that with 14 kids or 20 kids? It's hard. It's not easy. And that's something for programs to think about. How do we fund this and I've seen like a I've seen like a staff position on a few websites recently. That's like, you know, the the, the mental health 
coordinator or something, or, you know, a similar title. Maybe like in the last program I ran, we had interns from the local university who were studying to become therapists. They came in and offered sessions to our, I was running a program for Girls Inc. at the time. So for our girls. And yeah, so what other resources are there in the community that could support our program that wouldn't necessarily cost us anything? Because I know a lot of our, you know, our programs struggle to, to uh, make ends meet. So what, what other resources could we bring in to help with mental health stuff? We can, we can look for those risk factors, right? We can understand, I didn't really get a chance to talk too much about the, the domestic violence connection between mass violence and domestic violence, but certainly if we hear about interpersonal violence going on at home, that's something we really need to, to clue in on and see if there's something that we can do to support that family as they go through whatever it is they're going through. We can help the kids stay, this is like age old advice, but keeping to a routine. Kids say they don't want a routine. They say they want to mix it up, but really they want to know what they can expect, right? That's how they feel safe. Always a routine. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And so we have to be creative as, as adults. We have to be creative about how to put that forward, right? But keeping to a routine, especially after there's been an incident in the community. They, we need them to know exactly what's going to happen at exactly what time. And we as staff need to stick to that. So that. Again, so we are creating a safe environment for them to be in. We also want to honor feelings, right? Yes. Feelings, feelings are not rational. They're not logical. Feelings sort of come in and they go out, right? When you learn more about mental health, people have these, we all do as adults, we have these two, we have these cra- crazy feelings. But if we kind of let it ride, if we sit with it for a minute, if we honor those feelings, it, they, they will dissipate, right? And so kids are the same way. We shouldn't be telling kids, you don't really feel like that. Where You're fine, right? You, I'm, a recording can't see me waving my hand, but <laughs> you're fine. It's not okay <laughs> to tell kids because they might not be. Yeah. They might not be fine. I know it's hard for us as adults to manage those feelings or to help them with those feelings sometimes but it, they might not be fine. So we really have to honor the fact that they that they have strong feelings, right? Especially after something scary has happened in the community because they have no control. They have no control over this. And so young people, they will create control over certain things in their lives. Whatever they can control, they will find a way to do that. And one of those ways is to be a jerk to you and to you know create certain conditions for themselves because they know what kind of reaction they're going to get from adults. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it's not an excuse for behavior, but it could be a reason for it. Yeah. Awesome. So as we kind of wind down the episode, what are some really helpful resources other than yourself? I'm sure our listeners will definitely want to reach out to you, but what are some resources that you can just kind of fire off real quick that our listeners could, could utilize? So a couple of websites I would love to share with you are the National Mass Violence Resource Center. So it's nmvvrc.org, and I can send these to you also. National Mass Violence Resource Center is an awesome place to get specific resources on mass violence incidents, very, you know, very specifically about recovery, resilience, you know, immediate response, all of that can be found on that website. There's another one called the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, nctsn.org. 
That's another place that has really specific information about children and how they're affected by stress and trauma. There's also SAMHSA.gov, which is S-A-M, you know about it, S-A-M-H-S-A, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. Um, that's another place that has really specific information about mass violence and how it affects children and families. And then you asked me for some books. Yes. yes. So so before we get to our books, okay. Okay. which I'm super excited about because I'm literally ready to like write them all down. If listeners do want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? Ooh, okay. Well, my my I don't have a website, but I have a I, my email address is shane.missouri at gmail.com. Awesome. I have a, a LinkedIn page that I can share. I, I can't do that. I can't roll that off my tongue, but I'd be happy to share that with you in the comments maybe. And if that's helpful, that's kind of my website at this point, I need to create a website. But yeah, I would love to provide this kind of training in, in longer form because there's so much more to share for, for folks if they're interested, you know, available to do that via Zoom or to travel to you, whatever, whatever works for you. But yeah, th there's so much more information that could be useful. So yeah, please reach out. I would love to talk to more folks. Awesome. All right. Now for the fun part, Sean and I are huge book lovers. As we mentioned at the very start of this episode, she and I are also part of the ACA Illinois book club for DEI. Shout out to that. Go on ACA yeah. Illinois website and go sign up. Really awesome book club. But Shane, love to know yeah. some book recommendations from you, whether they relate hmm. to this or not, or just your favorites. So I have three for you. Awesome. Ooh. None of which are camp specific. That's okay. That's fine. So one of them is called Trigger Points, Inside the Mission to Stop. I know this is too much. Again, I can put it in the chat or I can email you. Trigger Points, Inside the Mission to Stop Mass sh Shootings in America. The author is Mark Fullman, F-O-L-L-M-A-N, Mark. So Trigger Points is the, is the first part of that book. Very interesting book about, you know, again, mass violence in America, what's kind of the history of it. What are we doing about it right now? He also, he's on LinkedIn and Twitter too, and, and posts pretty frequently on, on this particular topic. So he's really interesting on mass violence specifically. Another one is, do you, do you all love Bre Brene Brown? Yes. We Ooh. love Brene. Right. Ooh, she's so fantastic. Brene? So I know. So her latest, I think it's her latest book. Maybe she might have a new one out by now, but Atlas of the Heart. Love that. Is a, yeah. Oh, so you know about that one. Okay. Darn it. Yeah, no, no, that's it's a great book. And, great and book. not many people have I don't think many people have read it because I know for a while like her daring greatly, you know, dare to lead, all of that was mm -hmm. very, very popular. Uh, Atlas of the Heart is a different take. Like yeah. I know Shauna, you might know it. I've already read it, but it's definitely a much different take on what I mean, it's still Brene and it still has her, you know, shame conversations and stuff, but it's definitely different, and I like. It. I haven't it's, read it, but it's you like should. A, it's like a glossary. It's a glossary of like mental health terms. It's a it's a feelings. It's a feelings glossary, and it kind of goes over all these different feelings. What I love about what I love about it is that it gives you it gives you that language of how to talk about your feelings. Because the more we can do that. The more we can, you know, role model it for, for, for our friends and for our young people in our lives, right? And it just, I feel like it really, we, I did it as a book club with my previous employer too, and it took two or three sessions because it's a big book, but it just really gives context 
for, for young people on, we're not just mad, sad, or happy. Those are not the three, right? You all have seen the feelings wheel that has like, I don't know, 200 feelings on it. And the more we can talk about that with kids and with their parents and, you know, do some education with parents around this, it's really, it's, it's, it's great. I think it's a really great resource. Social emotional activities. It's a really great resource for this. Okay. And then my last one is, and this one has nothing to do with camp and nothing to do with violence, but it's called The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. Have you heard of this one? I have. I read uh, only nonfiction. No, I, so I only read nonfiction and everybody knows this about me. I am okay. a, I only read nonfiction. So I have probably read, oh man, I've read over probably two, 300 nonfiction books. So like I have, but Art of Gathering, I, it's been a while since I've read it, but it was I, good. It was I another dug it. One. I dug it a couple of years ago. I read it a couple of years ago and I still refer to it. It's all, and the, the author is Priya, P-R-I-Y-A, Parker. E-R-A-K-E-R. But I love it because it's all about, and it's great for directors and staff of programs. It's great for planning a party at your own house. It's great for, you know, helping with the family reunion next summer. It's great for camps. It's it's all about being intentional about Mm -hmm. how you want. We're coming together for whatever the purpose is. You're going to a conference and you're doing a session at a conference or you're meeting, you know, you're going to the your cohort, your YMC cohort, or your day camp cohort at the next ACA meeting, right? We bring people together, and how do we want them to feel when they walk away from our gathering? It's not just, you know, doing an agenda and, like, having the markers ready for for the charting in the meeting. It's how do you want people to feel, and how do you want to create community while you're in that in that setting, right? Shauna, like I, said, I can see, I can see your gears turning, Shauna. <laughs> I yes. So it's one uh, of the best books I've ever read about about event planning, and it's very, like I said, it's very applicable at the at a day camp director level, at a executive director level. It's very mm-hmm. applicable to all different levels of like planning gatherings for people. Yeah, I'm in the beginning stages of putting together a conference or a summit or we don't know what we're doing yet for DI for ACA Illinois. So I'm definitely going to be ordering that book today. So I'm excited. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. I think, you know, that that's part of our job as directors of programs for kids is how do we want them to feel when they walk away at the end Mm -hmm. of the day? How do we want them, you know, we want, like I said, creating that warm, receptive, loving atmosphere with kids, whether that's after school program or day camp or resident camp or 4-H or scouts or, you know, whatever you're doing, we want to create that environment where when kids come, they just, they feel like we're just enveloping them in a big old hug. And we can't control anything outside of our program, but we can train ourselves and our staff to really create that environment. And the more we do that, the less that mass violence is going to be an, it's going to be a problem because it's shown, it's, sorry, I'm over time. It's shown that a kids, even with one supportive adult, a kid in crisis, that intervention is, it means it changes their whole world. Even if it's one person, even if it's just the one person that's like their cabin leader for that week or the cabin leader, their, their day camp leader for that day or week right one person can make a huge difference for kids and so thinking intentionally about how we want kids to feel and family and their families too and staff don't forget about staff don't forget about staff (laughs) 
So anyway, awesome. being intentional about that environment, I, I, I'm very passionate about that, as you can see. Awesome. Well, Shane, we want to thank you for coming on today. We've heard a lot of really great information. There's some also some great books, as we all love. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add before we kind of sign off for the day? I just thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I'm very passionate about this topic and, you know, kids and kids programs in general. I, you know, I spent almost 20 years running them and day camp and resident camp and childcare. I mean, it's just, it's such an opportunity to change the world, you know, one kid at a time, one family at a time. And so I just would, I'm just really appreciative of everything that you all do and all the, all the hard work that you do. Cause I know I've I've been there. I know it's hard. I know it's, you know, emotionally wrenching and physically exhausting, but it really makes a difference in the world. And so for that, I really appreciate what you do and what everybody, everybody who's listening does for a living. I think you're changing the world. That that comment will definitely warm some camp director's hearts (laughs) this time of year. So thank you for saying that. Thanks for being here. And for our regular listeners, If we have regular listeners, I like to think we do. (laughs) We will catch you next time. Bye.